How many times do I have to tell you? You know, I just cleaned that. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bible Geeks Weekly Podcast. This is episode 141. I'm Brian Cheely. I'm Ryan Joy. And thanks so much, everyone, for tuning in to our second episode of our Training Wheels series. We're in session two, and today, as we teased on the last episode, we're talking about devotion to God. Originally, we titled this thing Devotional Normalcy. Maybe you'll figure out what that means as we go along. It seemed kind of confusing, so we just simplified it to devotion to God. Yeah, normalcy means regularity. We want our devotion to God to be a fundamental, foundational part of our lives, uh, something that our whole families are built on that has consistency to it. Yeah, and so earlier we dropped a daily download conversation starter. So to kick off this episode, we're going to go back and listen to that. The episode is called Almost Ancient. This is Training Wheels. Almost Ancient. Most kids don't like watching anything black and white. When a film from the 90s is an old movie, the family of the 50s seems almost ancient. What do they do with their free time without the internet? As outdated as it might sound, many families invested in quality time, eating meals together, going to church every week, and studying the Bible regularly. No, life wasn't perfect. But are these old-fashioned priorities a thing of the past? Maybe with all our distractions, the foundation of our families has weakened. Adrift in a sea of activities, perhaps we've lost touch with the value of deep devotion to God together. Here's the big idea. Worship isn't just what we do as a family, it's who we are. The Lord builds the house, in Psalm 127 verse 1, when he's the heart of the home. Jesus grew up in a home where honoring God was the norm. The family went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, Luke 2.41. It wasn't a question, it was just what they did. They were poor, but they sacrificed what little they did have to God, as he commanded. Before Mary and Joseph ever had kids, they were worshipers at their core. Listen to the beautiful words of devotion Mary spoke before Jesus' birth. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Luke 1, 46-49. It's only fitting that when Jesus was 12, he continued the legacy, planting himself in the temple to discuss God's word. So make devotion the core of your marriage from the earliest moments, before the kids come. Lay those habits and commitments deep, like concrete footers beneath the house. Serve, pray, and consistently assemble with the church, never too busy to show up for the one who showed up for us. Just imagine what might happen if more families took the old-fashioned approach of Jesus' upbringing. So here's the big question. Is glorifying God the soul of your family? So follow along with this guided study at biblegeeks.fm slash trainingwheels. And may the Lord bless you and keep you today. Shalom. I seriously hope nobody just turns off the episode right there and thinks that it's all over with. (laughs) So that episode was all about this big idea that worship isn't just what we do as a family, it's who we are. And I think this feeds into a lot of the conversations we wind up having on the podcast, right? I mean, this is kind of one of those like being versus doing ideas. Mm -hmm. Worship isn't just an activity that we go check off. It's not another activity like soccer or art lessons, or piano recitals, or anything like that. Assembling with the church, 
reading our Bibles together, singing songs, praying together. These aren't optional activities or sort of a marginalized sliver of our time. Our devotion to God is an everyday, normal operating procedure like you were just talking about. It's not an old-fashioned idea. It's not something that our great-grandparents, our grandparents used to do very regularly. This is something that, that we are. And so as we think about this big idea, it leads to the big question. Yeah, the big question is, is glorifying God the heart and soul of your family? What do we all see in our family as our one thing, mm-hmm. as our no matter what? Is worshiping and serving God so woven into the fabric of our family life that we wouldn't know who we are without it? And I like what you said there about being versus doing. Of course, worship is something we do, but it's so tied to our purpose that our whole reason for being is to glorify God, that it is in that way tied to everything we do. I like the fact that you said it was woven in there, like the fabric. It really is. It's just all intertwined with who we are. So as we start to think about this idea of devotion to God, let's get into an icebreaker question, just kind of loosen the tension just a little bit here. (laughs) So the question is, have you ever wanted to pull a Ferris Bueller with worship and take a day off? Maybe you're going to go drive around in your car and sing some songs on a float somewhere. Whatever it is that you were going to do with your day, have you ever thought about taking a day off in Ferris Bueller style, ditching worship? I, I hate to say it, but yeah, it, it, it usually enters my mind, I think, when a series of reasons start mounting. Like, it's it's just like, oh, there's this and there's that and there's this. And then it's like, this week there's a big snowstorm that's about to hit, actually, oh, yeah. tomorrow. And Yeah, I totally relate to that here, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Looking out at your palm tree. That's right. It's, uh, you know... 20, maybe 30 inches, I heard somebody say. I don't think it's going to be that much. But there's this big storm might be out there and it's, you know, it's time to go to services. And I know that, you know, a lot of people aren't going to be there. And maybe the kids haven't been sleeping this week. Everybody's exhausted. I have so much to do this week. I could get a start on it. I'm not leading anything. Adrian's not teaching. It's just one Sunday night. There's one Wednesday night Bible study. The world's not going to end if I miss, you know, it's like... You can just start to pile on and then you just have to say, I mean, what I find myself doing is thinking is, is that who we are? Mm -hmm. What does that say to our kids? What does that say to the church? What does that say to God? If I, if I do that, like I could see my kids calculating this secret formula. Like if, if this happens and dad is (laughs) doing that, you know, then we're going to stay home from church. Not that they don't love going to church and seeing their friends and being in Bible class and all that, but you just don't want them to think, oh, this is when you get to take it, you know, like from school, this is when you'd get to take a snow day. This is when you get to take a day off. Serving God is all the time. Well, when I was a kid, I totally did the same thing. So I relate to your kids a whole lot. I was that way all the time. It's like, when can I stay home? When am I going to get a break or whatever? And even recently, I actually had some minor surgery last Wednesday. I had a big, you know, almost three inch scar on my face. And like, I just wasn't feeling 100%. And I came home and I was like, all right, I'm not going to go tonight. I think I'm going to stay home. And as I was sitting there on the couch and as the time kind of started getting closer and closer to, to having to leave for services, I was like, you know, I am going to go. I had a big compression bandage on my face. I looked like a dork, but I'm out there. I decided to go. And uh, you know, it turns out that that night, one of the young girls that I've taught in Bible class for a number of years, she decided to get baptized that night. And man, oh, wow. 
if that didn't make the whole <laughs> evening just totally worthwhile, <laughs> push yeah. through the pain. It was great. Yeah, you know, that is how it always happens to, I mean, not always with the baptism, but there's always something that whenever it was like, ah, I, I almost stayed home and I'm so glad I didn't. Mm -hmm. For sure. All right, so let's get into our first segment here on the episode, and that is finding Jesus. And so we're going to go to a series of passages here where Jesus might be. In fact, he is actually here in these passages, but we're going to consider some verses here in Luke chapters 1 and 2 where Jesus really isn't, and see if we can find him there. These two chapters of Luke give us insight into the family that Jesus was brought into. So that's pretty cool to get a window into what Mary's like and what Joseph's like and who they are as a young married couple that's just coming up and raising their little toddlers, you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> what you see them doing here, it's all doing, you know, it's, we've talked about it, it's a being doing conversation. And of course, being comes from doing, doing comes from being, and they are doing the right things here. And it makes me think about when my dad passed away, Adrian built this photo book of him. And on the cover, she put a quote, it's from Clarence Buddington Keller, and it says, my father didn't tell me how to live. He lived and let me watch him do it. Nice. <laughs> and it captures dad. Dad was a man of few words, but he always tried to do the right thing. We always knew where we'd be when someone needed help, when there was a gathering of the saints, whether it was in the building, going to somebody's house for a singing. It wasn't perfect, but there was never a question. We were going to try to do what's right before God. And as parents, it makes me think, you know, don't, don't just tell my kids what to do. I need to show them. I need to let them see that the things of God are the things that are most important to me. And, you know, I believe that Jesus could have lived perfectly no matter who his parents were. But the perfection begins even as he's an infant. How fitting. He came up with parents who had him circumcised at the exact right time. Mm -hmm. The offerings they offered were exactly what they should have been. And then he began to grow into this boy, this young man. He's in Jerusalem for Passover every year. He's in the synagogue every week on the Sabbath. They performed everything, it says in Luke 2.39, performed everything according to the law of the Lord. And so we all have family customs. You know, you might have taco night on Tuesday or watch <laughs> your favorite holiday movie. Yeah. But their immovable family traditions were defined by God's law. And, and do we make our custom to consistently do God's will to ingrain those habits deep in our kids? I think that's what that conversation starter was really highlighting is just all the aspects of Mary and Joseph's early life and how it was just who they were. It's so yeah. fundamental to who they were. They performed everything according to the law of the Lord. They were just all about serving God. I love that you bring that up because you know, we definitely have examples in our own parents to look back to. Some of those examples may not be positive spiritual examples. Some of them might be. But no matter who we have in our, in our past, who are we going to be in our homes for our kids? What, who are they going to look back to? As Jesus could look back to his parents, I think he's seeing that they, they were really godly people. And I hope my kids can turn around and look at me that same way, you know, that, mm. that we were kind of leading them like Mary and Joseph was here. And it actually started to make me think about how, I don't know if this happens to you, but every now and again, someone will say that Ashlyn is just like her mother. And then sometimes they'll say that Ashlyn is just like me. And it's like, well, which one is it? <laughs> is, is, she, <laughs> is she Sherilyn or is she me? You know, I'm sure that happens with you and your kids too, but like, 
I, I don't know who's right, but there's always something profound about a family resemblance. Like, you know who belongs to who in a lot of families. No matter how hard I try, I'm always going to see my mom or my dad in me. And just like I know Sherilyn sees her parents in her. Like, here we find Jesus looking to his mother's humble response to the news of her upcoming pregnancy. This was early on in this story in Luke chapter 1 where Mary learns that she's going to have a baby, not just any baby, but the baby is going to be the son of God. And she says, behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. That's in Luke 1 verse 38. I'm your servant. She viewed herself as God's servant. This wasn't about her. This was all about God. And so we see her humility in her response there, but we also see it in her song later on in that same chapter in verse 48. And 49, the great Magnificat, where she says, He has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. Jesus grew up in a home where God was in charge. The members of the house were all just merely servants. That's all Mary was. That's all Joseph was. They were servants. And what would Jesus grow up to become? He would become the great servant. And so nothing flashy, nothing overly spectacular. Jesus' life was simple and it was humble. And that echoes where it all started with his mother's obedience and her reverent heart from the start. It's really beautiful. The family resemblance between (laughs) Mary and Jesus. She was a special lady and that's, that's why God chose her. I mean, what a task to be given. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so let's get into our second segment here on the episode, and that is Poetry in Motion. motion. So how about we just pick off two psalms on this episode? I mean, we're breaking all the rules by jumping around anyway, so we're going to cover Psalm 127 and 128, and these are like dovetail psalms. They fit perfectly together. So how does 127 start out? Yeah, 127 verses 1 and 2 have this picture of a house of futility. Not the kind of house we want our houses to be. And so the outline of the verses, it starts out with a house and then it goes to a city and then it goes to a life. And so it starts out, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And then he goes to the city. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. And then he goes to this picture of a life. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. And to me, the key word is vain, to be worthless, futile, inconsequential. It doesn't matter at all. There's this George Carlin quote that says, dusting is a good example of the futility of trying to put things right. As soon as you dust, the fact of your next dusting has already been established. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's that's like family life in a in, in a quote captured well, that Sisyphean task, you know, like, <laughs> how oh, many times man. do I have to tell you, you know, and I just cleaned that, don't oh, know, you know, and it's just the repetition <laughs> of, Uh, How many times do you do everything in a single day? And that's how it goes. We all want to actually be building something. It has to mean something. It's not just repetition, right? It it has to be more than just those little empty tasks. And, And on a more serious note, that the house that the Lord isn't building can be filled with other sentences like, honey, I love you, but we can't keep having the same argument or... Mm -hmm. I just don't know if I can do it anymore. That kind of like 
we've been doing the same thing and it feels worthless. It feels useless. Like it's, we're not going anywhere. We're not, it's not working. And that's not how it goes whenever the Lord is building the house, whenever the people in the house are submitting to God. He wants to, of course, build more than just a house. He wants to build a home. He wants to build a family. And and God is building the house that's directed by him, where he's the center. He's the heart of the home, as we talked about in that big question. So the first verse gave the condition, the Lord is building the house. The second verse started illustrating the need. You know, we don't want to be having this futility and this sleeplessness and anxiety. But how does God describe the blessing? Yeah, the blessing is really where this thing ends off with in verses three to five, where he takes kind of a detour away from this conditional question that he's been asking and now really just focuses on the good stuff. Like, here's what the goodness of marriage is all about. And one of those things that he talks about here is children. And so the main point here in these last few verses are that kids are like arrows that God has given to us. This is the famous, familiar passage about children being like arrows and having them in our quiver and all of these things. So we find out here that our children have come to us from God that he's given them to us in verse three. He calls them a heritage. That's just awesome language. This is like our Mm -hmm. inheritance. He's rewarded us with these things. And so he says in verse four that they're like arrows to a warrior. So we, I guess, as parents, we're the warriors and our kids are our arrows that we're shooting out into the world. And you can think about the meaning of that, I'm sure, for a while. But verse five, then he says, and you want as many as you can get. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. And so verse three here of Psalm 127, behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Not fruit of the loom, fruit of the womb, (laughs) a reward. (laughs) I think the word from here, though, is really important. It's only used one time, I think, in this section, but God is the source of our children. Our children have come to us from God. They've been given to us by the Father. And I think that point is really important to notice, that this is not my activity. I have not created these children. But like we were talking about with marriage last week, I didn't create the unity of marriage. I didn't create my children. These children have been blessed to me, given to me, rewarded to me by God the Father. And so I was thinking about this verse a lot whenever we were trying to have more kids. And as somebody who wanted to have more than one kid, You know, this was kind of a challenging series of verses here where honestly, it's kind of hard to read these things when I understand that like we we wanted to have more, but we only were blessed with one. And so if we could have had a gaggle of children, maybe that would be fine. You know, you look at obviously other people and you start comparing yourselves to them. And we know how comparison is the thief of joy so often. And so I think these verses are conveying that it's not so much about the quantity, but realizing that no matter how many kids you have, they're all a reward. They're all a blessing from the Father. And so why would I question what God has planned for us, thinking about the way things might have been or could have been, but just what a great reminder to depend on God, even in the makeup of my own family. And so there's so much that we can say about family here, but Psalm 128 then kind of takes up the mantle from what, where Psalm 127 left off. And where do we go next? Well, we're going to go to the other side of Psalm 127. And the other side of the start of 127, which was futility, that house of futility, now we're in the house of blessing. 
And so it goes from fearing the Lord to walking with the Lord and in his ways to then eating well, not eating the fruit of anxious toil, but the fruit of, of your work and being well. And so it says, blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his way. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. And so blessed or happy or fortunate is, is the key idea here. Makes me think of whenever I go on a family road trip, we always make a playlist. <laughs> I love playlists. You know? I know this about you. <laughs> yes. Oh, it's, it's one of the joys of going on a trip. <laughs> and so you make, you choose the songs that fit, you know, we went down South once. And so in a family trip down to Atlanta, we tried to choose songs that went with going down South and whatever songs you choose, you know, you're trying to set a tone for the family and for the trip. Well, this it starts out even before that first verse, it says this is a psalm of ascent or a song of ascent. And it seems if you look at, for instance, Psalm 122, they're going up in verse four there. These were songs sung by Jewish pilgrims on their way to worship on the Temple Mount. So just like Mary and Joseph would go to Passover, go up the hill to Jerusalem every year, all of these pilgrims would go up Jerusalem, which was on a mountain, on Mount Zion, and they would go to worship. And the Mishnah associates the 15 songs of ascents, which 127 and 128 are part of, with the 15 steps in the women's court. So outside the temple proper, there was the women's court. So there was the, there's the Gentile court, and then the Gentiles had to stop there. And then there's the women's court that the Jewish women could go in. And then there's the the temple, and then it goes, of course, into the holy place, the most holy place. But there's the second century Jewish writing, the Tosefta, that says that they were sung on these steps during temple worship. Women couldn't go beyond those steps. So this is the place the whole family could worship and sing these songs together. So it's kind of neat to think about. All of these 15 psalms were family songs. Mm-hmm. But of course, none of them more than Psalms 127 and 128, which seem to be put together to form this unified statement of the family blessings of serving the Lord. So 127 goes from the city to the family. 128 goes back the other way from the family to the city. They emphasize the same themes. And we get this message that where the Lord isn't building the house, it's vanity, but where people are following the Lord, are walking with him, there is blessing in 128 verse 1, where 127.2 saw a man eating the bread of anxious toil, 128.2 shows a man enjoying the fruit of his labor. And so it all comes back to consistently prioritizing the Lord's ways. And to summarize this into three choices, we could one, build our own house, or two, let life just kind of build the house or three, let the Lord build the house. So what would that look like? Well, if I'm building the house, I'm doing it by prioritizing my preferences, my hobbies, my personal commitments, or I could let life build the house as the calendar gets filled up and the money gets spent and we all just survive another day, which is sometimes how things go. Or I can intentionally and with commitment to my God, let the Lord build the house as we habitually ask each other how God's priorities and precepts and purposes for our family should shape our next step. And the blessings will come to those who are doing that and the others will find futility and frustration. 
So how do we wrap this thing up as we think about who is going to be blessed here? Yeah, so we wrap up in Psalm 128, verses 3 through 6, where we basically just jump right off of what you were talking about there, where fearing God does something very positive for our family, and that is that it brings us blessings. Our families are blessed when we decide to let God build the house. And so here in verse 3, we kind of start to see this really weird picture of like a family farm with a viney kind of wife and (laughs) shooty kinds of kids. Like he describes our wives as being fruitful vines and our children like olive shoots around your table. It's like your whole house has now been taken over by your wife and your children and all the blessings that they are to you. And so we see in verse four that this is what fearing God blesses you with. This is a result of fearing God. And so may the Lord bless you with prosperity in verse five and with long life to see your grandkids in verse six, that you will see your children's children. The blessings of fearing God are tangible. They're real. And this psalm is really telling us what a family designed by God looks like. And so we just see the word blessing like oozing out of these (laughs) verses. Yeah, I mean, it's just everywhere. Like what a gift that God gives us when we follow his pattern. And you might be at this point kind of skeptically thinking, well, like, hold on here. If I fear God, that doesn't always mean I'm going to be led to prosperity. And of course not. I don't think these verses are necessarily a promise of just beautiful utopian happiness all the time, but they do tell us that the one who fears God is setting himself up for blessing. And why wouldn't we design our houses in a way that blesses and honors God, like what alternative would we have? And you and you raise some other options there of prioritizing our happiness or just kind of letting time and chance take over. But when God is in control, the chaos of life that's around every corner, I mean, and sure, it might come, but I would much rather follow God's plan. You just hit the nail on the head when you contrasted chaos <laughs> with blessing. Because that's, Adrian and I have been talking about this a lot, you know, as you look at the motifs and themes throughout scripture and especially throughout the Old Testament, this tree that's growing, these vines, and this is, this is garden imagery, right? This is the difference between whenever God creates something and brings his blessing there, like in the Garden of Eden and, and like all of creation, as he, as he makes it good, it is thriving and the tree And the vine are images of that goodness and the order he brings and the fruitfulness he brings. And then outside, whether it's the wilderness or the sea, is this image throughout the Old Testament of chaos. And so the idea here, like you said, it's not like, okay, here's how you're going to get some particular very specific return on investment. (laughs) That's not what this is about. But it is about prosperity. It's about true richness and blessing and fruitfulness, having the kind of order and accomplishment that actually matters in life. And that can include financial blessing, but it's certainly not all about that. It is about this home. It's kind of like Psalm 1 gives a picture of the tree planted by the water, the striving, and that's coming from your heart being right. But now he's expanding it and saying, no, your whole house, this is what the home that has the Lord at the center. You can have this kind of Eden 
happening in your home. No, it's not perfect, but God's blessing is there. And wherever God's blessing is, there is life. And like you said, how much more so in light of eternity? Oh, and it's totally stability. And I think that's what we've been trying to highlight here in these first few conversations is we need to build a stable foundation for our home. And how do Mm -hmm. we do that? Well, we let God do the building. (laughs) That just has to be the core. Like, if we don't do that, then everything's going to be shaky. And as we talked about in the conversation starter, all of these things that we do, this devotion to God, is like pouring concrete footers deep down into the ground. And so this is Psalm 127 and 28. Let's move on to our third segment here on the episode. And that is our reach out question. Reach out, reach out and touch someone. So I'm not going to touch you, but I will reach out and ask you this question. What have you done to keep worship from feeling like a chore rather than a privilege? We talked about Ferris Bueller a little bit earlier on in the conversation. And so how do you keep worship from feeling like a chore? Yeah. So rather than just going into one thing, I thought, okay, what are my, because you develop strategies. It's like we were talking about last week about dealing with conflict in marriage Mm -hmm. and we're, we're strategy people around here. So, so I thought I'd give, here are five little mini strategies that have helped me. So the first is just sitting closer to the action. It just helps. (laughs) <laughs> it helps me anyways. I know every, everybody's different. Sitting close to the action makes me more engaged, whether it's a Bible class or, you know, assembly. Second, when it's time to give, thinking of something specific that my offering can go toward. Oh, yeah. You know, That's like a good one. I might not be giving enough to pay for this whole building, but what can I pay for? You know, I can pay for the children's literature that are being used this morning, whatever. The third thing is allowing myself to get wrapped up in the songs without worrying too much about how silly I look, whether it's smiling or, you know, tapping my feet or even crying or just singing the part that I find most fun or most moving, just really kind of losing myself in the joy and the meaning of it. You know, it's okay for singing to and all worship to be emotional. Uh Songs are designed for that. And then fourth, to try to remember all the layers to what's happening in the Lord's Supper and to use my imagination to try to take it in, looking around and seeing all the people I'm communing with in this supper, to imagine the Lord's presence among us, to reflect back in my imagination to a moment in the crucifixion. And then fifth, to explore prayer postures as I've focus my attention on the Lord during prayers. And I don't really explore them anymore because I've sort of found what works for me. But I often have have done this. And and even now, whenever I kind of go into my favorite way to pray, I know that the physical body isn't the most important thing. But throughout scripture, people have used their bodies, Jesus included, to express something as they pray. And so one thing I do just not to be a weirdo is I usually <laughs> try to go back to a normal one that people expect right before the amen, just reset, you know, not drawing yep. attention. Yeah. Yeah. But, but anyway, you know, so those are four, five different little mini strategies that have helped me. What have you done to keep worship from feeling like a chore rather than a privilege? So this is going to tie right into a conversation that we've been having here in our house. And this was sort of kicked off by a lesson that we had. Chad preached a sermon here on Sunday that really just kind of hit home. And I'm, I'm thinking about, obviously, like you were, our collective worship. You know how, and we've talked about this before, like if you're a geek or you're a nerd about something, like you go to a convention 
or you go to a football game or you go to somewhere where all of your nerdy people are. Like, what are you going to talk about with these people when you're in passing, sort of when you're passing each other in the hallways? What are you going to talk about with each other? We were thinking about this kind of from the standpoint of unity and how God takes all of us in Christ and all of our different interests and hobbies and backgrounds and everything that could divide us, and he unites us together through Christ's death. And we talked about how really our unity is found by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord with one mind, Philippians 2 verse 2. But one of the things that helps keep me from feeling like worship is a chore is to remember that these are my people. (laughs) I said that earlier. That's so funny. This is my tribe. This is like my safe place. These are the people who I can talk about nerdy Bible things in the hallway with. (laughs) You know, these are the people where if I decide to sing a song of praise, that they're going to sing right with me instead of looking at me like I'm a weirdo or whatever. You know, like they'll look at me if I'm in a weird prayer posture like you were talking about. And they won't judge me too much. Like, (laughs) these are opportunities that I have to be with people who are walking the narrow road together with me. As I really start to think about it, like, I have so little in common with the world. And when I'm with my church family, I'm home. Again, it's not some, like, utopia of sinless perfection where everyone's doing the right thing all the time. But, like, these people get me. And I get them. And the more I remember that, I think it's even easier for me to avoid that kind of, like, oh, what a weariness self-talk that's so easy to slip into. Like, if you're a Star Wars nerd and you're going to go sit around people who are also Star Wars nerds, you're not going to sit there and think, oh, what a weariness. You're going to be like, yes, finally, I can talk to people who aren't going to judge me and who know where I'm coming from. Yeah, you've spent all this time with all these people that don't even understand what a Twi'lek is or whatever. (laughs) Finally, you're able to talk about all the like nerdiness. I love that so much. That just makes me so much more excited. <laughs> I can't wait to go see my people. That's right. And it is. It's so true. There, as I often have said, there is nothing in the world better than God's people. I love it. All right. So as we wrap up this episode, we're going to get into, yes, you guessed it, our challenge for the week. I am ready to face any challenges that might be foolish enough to face me. So this week we challenge you, as we're challenging ourselves, to sing a song of praise to God as a family. Just seems to fit right in nicely. We've talked about singing songs when we talked about poetry in motion earlier and doing these things together as a family. You know, whether you're musically inclined or not, I just think it's a fun activity to think through the words of some of these great praise songs that we have. You can pick your favorite, And you don't have to have the same favorite as I do, but I'll give you mine. I love the song, I Stand in Awe of You, and Mm -hmm. those words. Even if you weren't to sing the song, you know, I'll give you a pass if you just want to read the words together with your family. But like, you are beautiful beyond description, too marvelous for words, too wonderful for comprehension, like nothing ever seen or heard. And if you know the song, you're already singing the rest of it in your head. It's just a great song. Definitely something worth getting stuck in your head as a family. So pick your own praise song and sing it together with your family this week. Sing a song. Make it simple to last the whole day long. That's right. (laughs) Oh, man. I grew up with singing in the car as just this basic, like, regular thing. You know, we're talking about consistency. That was something that was just what we did. That was foundational to the Joy family as sweet tea, pretty much, is is my remembrance (laughs) of it. That's about right. Yeah. And peanut butter sandwiches. (laughs) 
Yeah, singing in the car. And so it helps me to try to instill that in our our kids because it's so important. Just so long as you don't sing falsetto. <laughs> yeah, except on my birthday. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, why don't we close this conversation out with a prayer? And the one that we suggested is, oh God, please accept my sacrifice of praise to you, coming from that statement in Luke 2, 22 to 24. But let's go to God in prayer. Holy God, as we just reflected on in that song, you are beautiful beyond any words we could choose. You are marvelous. You are full of power and beauty and of holiness and love. Every bit of goodness we can bring to mind has come to us from you. You've given us everything we have. Our own lives come from you. Who are we to to come before you with an offering and yet we thank you for the opportunity to praise you. All we can do is offer back to you what came from your hand and we pray for mercy. We pray for your patience and help as we seek with all our hearts to do just that. You're better than any other pleasure. You are greater than any treasure just to know you. May our actions and our words today make you smile, make you pleased. Glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, so where are we going next week? Next week, we're on to our third guided study session in our Training Wheels series, which is going to be on integrity. So we want to encourage you to read ahead, if you have an opportunity, Luke chapter 16, verses 10 through 13, James 5, 12, and Hebrews 12, verses 3 through 12, which talks about God's discipline. And I have a feeling we'll talk about discipline there. <laughs> yeah, there'll be a lot of discipline talk, but I think that topic specifically you know, as we're talking about building a solid foundation, what we say really matters. And following yeah. through on what we promise to do really matters. And we need to be those kinds of people as parents before we even have kids. And so hopefully that conversation next week on integrity will be something we can take out into the world, even if you don't have kids. This is definitely something that we all need to be about, is just doing what we say and being people of integrity. Yeah, we want our kids to know that they can count on certain things in life. And the more we can reflect God's faithfulness to them, the more they'll be, I think, prepared to trust him wholly. That's that's a good challenge, I think, for a father or a mother to remember. I'm trying to reflect something to them, to build a foundation for them, to throw their whole confidence in the one who is much more reliable than than I can ever be. But we have that blessing and that gift to be able to to try to model it. All right. So this has been episode 141. This has been our conversation here in our Training Wheels series. There is a downloadable study guide. If you want to download it, print it out, give it to some friends for this episode specifically. So we've got session one and session two study guides ready to go. So you can go to our website, biblegeeks.fm slash 141 to go find that. Or you can find all of them there at biblegeeks.fm slash training wheels, where we'll collect all the links to the videos, these weekly discussions, and the PDFs all right there. And at the end of this whole series, don't forget, we will have an entire study guide ready to go for you to download as well. Thank you again so much, everyone, for tuning in. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Shalom. Shalom.